Well, let's get started here. I'm wearing a UFO shirt. I'm feeling good. Damon, how are you? I am fantastic. Glad to be here. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Jeff. You select books for the science fiction section. I do. Just a few months. It's my, my first foray into fiction selection at this library. Mm -hmm. And sci-fi has not typically been one of the genres that I've read widely in. So I'm digging in. It's a new frontier. More. It's a yeah. new frontier. <laughs> Uh, you are listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. Uh, and my name is Jeff, and you've already met Michelle. Let's meet Damon. Hello. Hello, I'm Damon. Well, I am Welcome to the library. Thank you. Thank you. I am the uh, newest youth librarian here at Ferndale, and very excited to be here. Yeah, that's great. And one of the first things we learned about Damon was Damon enjoyed fantasy. Tell us about this, because I am... I am I'm foreign to fantasy. I don't even know. I've read sci-fi, but I haven't really indulged fantasy. And I feel like I and maybe some listeners have misconceptions about what modern popular fantasy novels are. Absolutely. So <laughs> I am, yeah, I'm definitely a huge fantasy reader. I read a lot of young adult fantasy, but also some adult stuff as well. Um, I sometimes just getting away from the world we live in and being in a new world, especially when things are bad, it's really nice to have that little yeah. escape. So I love when an author can create a brand new world and do some awesome world building. And sci-fi meets some of those as well. So yeah. that's why I'm here today, too. That's right. And we are here because we're here. We, we, we are here just to talk about sci-fi. But our library, like I feel like most libraries put sci-fi and fantasy in the same section. I know there's probably a lot of libraries that do have a fantasy genre and they delineate, but they're living on the same shelves here at the library. Right. Another new challenge for Michelle. And a lot of people, I, I have been thinking about it a lot because a lot of people, when you think sci-fi fantasy, you're thinking like when I started as a librarian 20 years ago, it was like, you know, elves and unicorns go on fantasy and robots and spaceships go in sci-fi. And it was just sort of a very simplistic way of thinking about those genres. And I think the cool thing about this genre is just how... Uh, you know, I think my dad is a really big sci-fi fan, mm -hmm. and he read a lot of stuff in the 50s that was very much the Isaac Asimov, you know, and everything was set in the far future. And the uh, exciting or terrifying thing about living right now is it seems like things are not <laughs> set in the far future anymore. <laughs> things are happening now. Yeah. Uh, one of the books I'm going to talk about today is set in 2030. It starts then. Mm -hmm. And it's just that I think it's addressing, it's, it doesn't seem as far-fetched anymore. It's kind of exploring themes of what's happening right now, um, ideas about where we're going to be in the near future. And there's just so much creativity, especially with the the fantasy elements, that it's it's exciting to think about. I've been thinking about even the name of it, and we'll call it sci-fi fantasy should right. be should the name of the section. Would speculative fiction yeah. fit that area better? So I'm looking forward to chatting with you about it. There is that meme that was going around about... Uh, how dystopian fiction has been now moved to the nonfiction section. Right. Um, <laughs> Current events. <laughs> and I love the dichotomy here of, of Damon saying escapism and you're like speculative fiction. This is what we're living in right now. <laughs> Can we start with some of the books that you have both brought? But like, let's start with Michelle. She's got sci-fi and then especially some speculative fictions. What's the first book on your list? Yeah. So I actually, um, of the ones that I have, I'm actually going to start with one that... I, I I started with I'm going from something that's sort of comforting and calming. Sure. Hmm. And then we'll we'll move from there to more terrifying <laughs> and traumatizing. Sure. <laughs> so actually the first one that I have is 
called Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. Ooh. And um, she does sci-fi. She's known for, she's, I can't remember, what's the series she's got? That's uh, the first set. one is, it, it, it's, it's the Wayfarer series. Wayfarer so series, okay. The The Long Way to Small Angry Planet, which is actually on my list. Excellent, because I, yeah. I really love that one, and I'm glad that you're going to talk about that. But yeah. this was one, so I'm kind of looking as someone, so say you love the library, you love reading, or you don't, but you're like, I really don't read in this genre, and I'd like to, dip my toe in. This is a great one to dip your toe in. So the uh, idea is that there's a continent called Penga and the robots have decided that they are no longer going to work for the humans um, (laughs) decades before. As they may eventually. And the humans and the robots peacefully part ways. And the robots and other species basically have half of the continent and the humans have the other half. Our main human character, is called Dex, and Dex is somewhat unsatisfied with their job, and they decide that they want to become a tea monk. And so tea monks are people who travel around in these caravans. They have tea. People come to them with their problems, and they make cups of tea based on problems these people have, and the people can just sort of sit, drink tea. Very and it's humanistic. Very therapeutic yes, thing. Yes, very therapeutic. Dex is non-binary, so because they're a monk, they're not brother or sister Dex, they are sibling Dex, so that's the name of this character, sibling Dex. And they meet in their travels, they're just sort of unsatisfied and, and trying to figure out what they're, you know, through the job, basically, what is their purpose in life? And despite the fact that Panga is pretty peaceful, there's just this sort of human restlessness about them. And so uh, in their travels, they come across Mosscap, which is a robot, which is very surprising because robots and humans aren't supposed to interact anymore. And basically, the book is just a lot of conversations between this robot and sibling Dex. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a beautiful meditation on human purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are having the talks around now. um, Are you your productivity? Are you your job? And this is sort of a beautiful rumination on separating your worth from the amount of money you make and your value as a human just being inherent Mm. and because you exist uh, that you are worthy. It's just some really beautiful conversations, not quite as action-packed as the Wayfarer series, but um, I heard someone refer to this as cozy punk. Cozy punk. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I love that. And it just, yeah, the whole thing, the world is lovely. It's not a a real plot-driven book. But I think if you want to dip your toe in, this is a lovely place to start. Excellent. Yeah, I will say that her other books are very much the same. They almost feel like a giant hug when you're reading them. There's not too much conflict in them. And to me, they read almost more like a sociological experiment rather than a big plot-driven book. So it's much more about the character interactions with each other, how the different alien species or even robots, AI how they exist in these worlds and how they intertwine with each other, mm-hmm. which I really, really enjoy. It's just absolutely fascinating. The kind of things she comes up with, with language and how the different creatures are described in customs. And it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I have to fit in now that you mentioned a sociological experiment, the only segue I'm ever going to get to put in my, one of my few recommendations I'm going to have today, which is a book I already talked to you about um, called we are satellites which is here in our sci-fi collection by Sarah Pinsker. And that's imagining a very near future where the inevitable evolution of maybe our smart devices is that we are, in fact, 
definitely getting some implants right mm. into our temples to uh, just increase our, just augment our our our, our faculties and uh, performance in school, perhaps performance at work. And it is about a, a family and how one mother decides to actually get the implant because her son gets it while the other mother decides not to because her daughter can't. And so obviously these implants are happening all over the world, but we get to experience it from the family's point of view where half of it gets the implant and half doesn't. And it's just interesting to see what happens to their lives. And that's how it's written. And Darpinskir, we are satellites. Let's go to a book Damon might have. Absolutely. So I mentioned that I am very heavy into fantasy. Um, and so a lot of my sci-fi recommendations, even though they're technically within that big scare quotes sci-fi genre, they read much more like a fantasy book. In my mind, I kind of think of them this way, where sci-fi is more like space or technology or science, and fantasy is going to be more like magic and new worlds and stuff. But of course, there's going to be overlap there. Like think of even something like Star Wars, which of course is going to be, you know, sci-fi, space opera, all of that. But then they have like the magic of the force. And so it definitely has fantastical elements to it that make it feel a lot like fantasy. Great point. Yeah. So um, the I two books I want to bring up are actually both by the same author. And so uh, Brandon Sanderson, he is a big fantasy author, both in adult and young adult. Um, he also dabbles in sci-fi a little bit. And so um, he has this series called Skyward. It is a young adult series um, where humans are stuck underground on this planet called Detritus. On the surface, alien Krell are trying to shoot down the planet and it keeps the humans from being able to thrive and really live their life because they must live in caves. And so in this society, um, part of the cool thing is like the most, uh, like, to become the most notorious person, you want to become like the best pilot. So a girl named Spencer is our main character, and she is in pilot school training to become a pilot to try to take down the Krell. But along the way, she encounters her own, she finds a rundown uh, starfighter in a cavern and must decide what to do with it. And so the author himself, Sanderson, described this book when he was writing it as you know, it's that classic story of a boy finds a dragon egg in a cave and raises it and learns to fly in it. Except it's a girl with a starfighter. That's great. And it's incredible. Um, there's also my favorite trope in that book, which is artificial intelligence learning humanity, which is kind of what you were talking about, Michelle, with your book. And I just, oh, I love seeing that and seeing the different ways they interact with humans and how they figure things out and solve things and ultimately sometimes even become almost human themselves, which is so cool. Um, so that's the Skyward series. There are, it's a trilogy right now, and there's also some uh, shoot-off little ebooks in the middle that are wonderful as well. I always appreciate it when my, when my AI becomes empathetic rather than renegade like Hal. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't want a Hal. No. Uh -huh. Okay, uh, the other one I was going to mention is uh, also by Sanderson. It's the Reckoners series. The first book is Steelheart. This is another young adult series, and this one is more your action superhero style of sci-fi. And so this is a story where people will randomly get superpowers, but every single person who gets these superpowers turns evil. And so it is all about this ragtag team that calls themselves the Reckoners that want to take down the evil bad guys and their story along the way. And the amount of 
vivid language that draws you into the story. I had times where I would put this book down and think, oh, I better turn the TV down. And I realized, wait, this was a book that I was reading. This was not a TV. And this is actually my first introduction to this author, who is, of course, now my favorite author. But it's a very quick read. It is a great introduction to that. If you like Marvel, if you like superheroes, it is the perfect introduction to the sci-fi genre. I, in middle school, became obsessed in a in a post-Timothy Zahn world with the Star Wars books that were coming up that are now slightly not exactly acknowledged as canon whatsoever. I feel like Brandon Sanderson wrote one, but I could be wrong. I have the vaguest memory of reading a book of his in eighth grade that had Star Wars on the cover, and I could be wrong. I do not believe that is true. One thing he did um, contribute to, though, he contributed to uh, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. Excellent. After Robert Jordan passed, he was tasked to finish that last book. Well, I don't know of any Star Wars okay. by him, and I'm a pretty, pretty big uh, Sanderson fan. What what an amazing torch to be passed, though, to be the one for Wheel of Time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen the show. I hope it's good. Or, I've heard you know. I've, I've heard very mixed reviews about it. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I think it also depends on if you've read the books or not. Exactly. Michelle, what's next on your list? So, as I said, this genre is not one that I typically read in, but I do like mysteries. And this next book drew me in because it is a part fantasy, part mystery set in Seattle in 1929. It's called Come Up and Served Cold by Marion Deeds. It's a nice slim volume. And I'll say three of the books I'm recommending today are also short. Okay. If you're just at that point where you're looking, you want to just dip your toe in again, um, Song for the Well Built is short. Come Up and Surf Cold is also short. They both clock in at around 200 or fewer pages. What's the sci-fi element? So the sci-fi element of this is... Um, he demanded. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we start off, it's, it's one of those where the end kind of happens in the beginning and you're like, okay, what's going on here? Sure. There's a woman named Dolly White who is hired as a lady's companion for a troubled young woman whose father is a commissioner of magic. So in this sort of, it's also sort of an alternate history. It's set in the 20s in Seattle. However, magic is um, common. Many people can do magic. There are also shapeshifters. And in true uh, American fashion, it's sort of policed. And so there's this sort of government uh, oversight of magic. Um, And I don't want to say too much about the plot because it's so elegant the way that it unfolds. But I'll say in the very beginning, you notice that there's uh, someone who is basically putting a mask on their face and changing their face. Mm -hmm. They're in a crime scene. They're leaving. And so there's that, the shape-shifting as well, which is also really cool. And there's a lot of herbal magic in this as well. So it's very much, if you like mysteries, I think you're going to like this one. But yeah, it's got a lot of really cool magic elements to it. And the characters I really liked as well. So it's, it's beautifully written. And I'm just trying not to give away too much. It's beautiful the way it unfolds. Right. Fantastical, but realistic, because <laughs> yeah. if magic were real, of course, the government would get involved. Yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I kidding? If magic were real, magic's real. <laughs> what, what's next for you, Damon? Ooh, let's go down the dystopian route for a second. So this is a series. It's also young adult. And I should probably mention here, if you're hearing me say young adult, young adult, young adult, I mean, 
I am a 31-year-old adult who absolutely adores reading young adult. I believe they are for all ages. You could be 75 years old and still reading young adult. There's sure. so much great stuff out there. So if you're listening, don't limit yourself by that sure. whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a another trilogy. It's by Neil Shusterman. It's called Sight. And this series is where humanity has figured out the answers for absolutely everything. There is no more death. There's no more disease. There's no famine. There's no hunger. There's no war even. Information is stored on this like super cloud um, that has, literally, you could look up anything on it. It's like the internet on steroids. It's pretty awesome. But because of that, in order to prevent overpopulation, people are chosen to take on the role as scythe. And it's their role to glean the population down to a size that will work for the world. And so it's done in such a way that you never know when you're going to die. You're not going to die by natural means. You'll die by a scythe. Maybe you could live to be two. You could live to be 200. And you never know when that might be happening. And so this book follows two uh, teens that were chosen to be scythes somewhat uh, reluctantly on their end. And so they are training as apprentices underneath the scythe to learn how to take on that role. And of course, there's with any dystopian novel, there's, of course, other things going on underneath the surface that you find as the story goes on. And it's one of those books that you describe it and it's like, oh, that sounds so dark. I don't think I would like that. And I, that's not my style of reading at all whatsoever. And so I picked it up only because I had several great recommendations about it saying, oh, Damon, I know what you like. I, I, I promise. I think you're going to really, really like this book. And turns out they were right. I mean, it was one that when I was reading it, the whole trilogy wasn't out yet. I finished the first book. The second book was out, but the third one wasn't. And I was away from home. And I left my hotel room to go drive to Barnes & Noble to go pick up the second book so I could start immediately because I was so desperate to keep reading. It's wonderful. Excellent. Would you say something about the internet where literally everything is on it whatsoever? Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it, it actually even becomes almost a... Not even almost. It becomes a character in the series as well. Interesting. Um, there's a little bit of that AI learning humanity as well as part of it. Interesting. That made me think back to my my implant book of We Are Satellites, and then I started thinking of Neuromancer by William Gibson, who is the, I guess, acknowledged godfather of cyberpunk, a book that feels very Blade Runnery in nature, maybe even more Blade Runnery than do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Michelle, what's next on your list? So the next one I have is more of a traditional sci-fi pick. Are we in space? We are in space, yes. He demanded. <laughs> yes. <I'm sorry. laughs> yes, here you go. Here's some space. Uh, it, but it's also short. Okay. Again, I believe less than 200 pages. It's called All Systems Red by Martha Wells. Uh, oh, and I've heard amazing things about Martha Wells. Yes, I we have quite a few of her books, and Excellent. I'm excited to to look into them. So this is the first in the Murderbot series, and this is it's hard to say if it's an alternate universe because it's just a a, a time when people are doing space exploration. So mm. perhaps they found planets that just we don't know about yet. But of course, uh, space exploration is corporate controlled because we're humans, right? Of course, <laughs> and contracts are awarded to the lowest bidders. Because we're humans. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, equipment is faulty. <laughs> so and realistic. so we are joining a group of scientists who are exploring uh, a planet that, you know, we're, we're unfamiliar with as humans. 
And uh, they have with them a sec unit or security unit, basically a robot that is there to protect them as a security guard. And the sec unit is our uh, main character. So we are in their thoughts. And there is, <laughs> I think a lot of people will actually relate to this sec unit. They are kind of lazy at their job. They download a lot of media to watch. They're not really paying too close of attention to what they're supposed to do. They're a robot, so they, they have this governor module that basically tells them what to do. But they're, you know, kind of checked out and they really don't want to interact with people too much. You know, these humans keep trying to sort of be friends with them and they're like, just leave me to my media. Right. right. <laughs> I think a I lot of us can that. relate. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, unexpectedly in the very beginning, this team is attacked. And in the process of saving them from this attack, this is when the sec unit realizes its governor module is no longer working. So it can't be told what to do. So all of a sudden, the sec unit has free will. Hmm. And that sort of sets the tone for the rest of this book. They also realize there's on this planet another exploration team probably half a world away from them, so pretty far. But they're able to communicate with it, and all of a sudden, this other team goes dark. And they can't communicate with it. So they decide that they need to go see what's going on with this other exploration team. And that sort of sets this whole thing in motion where you've got this group that's been attacked. They're not sure why. They get a map um, when they've ordered this package from the corporation. But there are parts of the map that are missing. And they're not sure if it's because something nefarious is going on or if it's just crappy equipment, which they're pretty used to. So they're trying to figure out, well, what are the missing parts of this map and why is this other team gone dark? And in the meantime, the sec unit has free will, but is the only member, cast member, shall we say, of this book that knows that. And also is very good at murdering. What a <laughs> Hence premise. they call themselves murder bots. What so a premise. It, it was just uh, action-packed from beginning to end. The, the sec unit, having the story being told from their perspective, was fascinating, and they were actually a very enjoyable character. So this is a great book. If you're like, I just haven't read sci-fi in years, what's out there? I highly recommend All Systems Read. I don't even want you to answer this question, but I'm so <laughs> curious whether the robot, the sec unit, is, becomes a, a protagonist, an antagonist, a hero, a villain. I'm so curious. Don't answer me. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're also adding way too many things to my to-be-read list, which is uh, not a bad problem to have, I suppose, but when it's already in the hundreds, yeah. it's not great. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Make it hard. On my to-be-read list, and I don't know if we're going to get to it, is a long way from an angry planet so i can talk about that right now i'd yes. love for you to jump to that one because yes. i've been wanting to read that one. yeah absolutely so that's the long way to a small angry planet which is perhaps the longest book title i've heard in a very long time um that one uh long way to small angry planet is by becky chambers it is within that space opera genre which i mentioned the term earlier i don't think we really talked about but space opera often has obviously it takes place in space it often has a huge intergalactic war going on. There's also uh, a lot of like melodramatic like interactions between people and races and um, usually a touch of romance as well. So Star Wars is a classic example of what is space opera style. Small Angry Planet doesn't so much have the intergalactic war going on, or at least not so much that it is a primary plot point, but it follows a group of um, 
I say people, but it's it, it's people of many different uh, planets and races and stuff all together as part of a space crew. And they are aboard a spaceship whose task is to punch new wormholes in space to aid travel for other ships going through. And it's a very dangerous job to do. Um, a lot can go wrong. But I say that, um, like the uh, Chambers book that Michelle was talking about, there's not a ton of plot. I mean, the book is from start to finish, like, all right, we've got to punch this wormhole. And that's basically the entirety of the plot. It's all about how this space crew learns to work together, to appreciate each other, um, to come together as a team. And oh, it is so, so, so wonderful. It's one of those books that like almost every single character in that book, I just want to be friends with because they are so uh, well fleshed out, well-rounded. They feel really real when you're reading about them. Um, I will also add that, like I said before, it, it feels like a sociological experiment with almost like a study of this group of people. Also is one of my favorite things, which is found or sometimes known as chosen family. Yeah. And how unrelated people come together to form their own family. And that's what happens with this space crew, of course. Which that's the trope that I think a lot of people fall in love with. If I'm going to dip into popular media with something like Guardians of the Galaxy, that is your found family sort of situation. On the topic of space operas, one book I've read and one book I've started. Uh, and I don't know if they fit there, but I think this one definitely fits there is Leviathan Wakes by James A. Corey, which became a show called The Expanse. Aha! And it is. Um, but it's not too far out in space. It is very Earth-tied, even though we've gone past Mars, we've gone past the, the, the meteor belt. I've heard it framed as not exactly this, but having the melodrama and intertwining tensions of Game of Thrones in space. <laughs> Leviathan Wakes. There's another book I've always heard great things about, but I've never been able to finish it. It's called Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. And I think it is also about a self-aware ship. AI is running the entire ship. And that AI is also the main character. And I'll just put more info in the show notes, everybody. Space operas. <laughs> that sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah, we're just flooding our TBRs today. That's what we're doing. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's next for you, Michelle? So my next one, and, and as I said earlier, we're getting slightly darker with oh, every recommendation I have. This is one that I read a few months ago. Actually, I think I read it in the wintertime. Yeah. And it was dark, and it took me a while to read. It was called How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. And this is, you could probably say, pandemic fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, so this one starts in Siberia in 2030. There's an archaeological team there that discovers... Uh, ancient ruins and remains and uh, accidentally unearths a virus that quickly goes on to kill most of the world's population. Mm. And so it's interconnected short stories that all center on this premise in this world. Mm -hmm. You have some re repeating characters, but it's mostly different ideas and themes of how humanity deals with having the world population significantly reduced and people losing a lot of loved ones. So in that way, obviously, we can relate with yeah. COVID. It's a little different in that the virus is not airborne. And part of it is they're sort of trying to figure out what how the virus spreads because they don't really know. I think at one point we're thinking possibly through water. Mm -hmm. But really, it's about how humans deal with grief and loss and how they adapt to staggering changes. It's beautifully written. There's a story about eulogy hotels and how people can pay <laughs> for 
to, to basically grieve in luxury. That's a concept, a particularly difficult one for me to read. It was about an end of life theme park that parents take their children to when the parents or the, when the children are about to die, they take them to this theme park. And <laughs> oh, it's incredibly mm. hard read. Um, but, or is it though? Because I'm of the school of thought that we, we like to avoid even thinking about grief or right. suppressing our grief. Right. And I have found that reading about grieving characters, I don't know, something in, it is sad, but it's like, it's, it's beautiful in a way. A or it helps gorgeous me. book. Yeah. And if yeah. you're looking for uh, a book to help you process grief, this is yeah. a great one. It's what was about the again? Uh, how high we go in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's definitely about the interconnectedness of humanity. And it's a, I will say if, if you, Read it and put it down, and which I would understand because some of it is hard to read. Come back to it because it's another one where you read it all the way to the end, and then it sort of some things are revealed at the end that ties everything back to the beginning. I mean, the the work in and of itself is just a beautiful illustration of interconnectedness, wonderful, and time, mm-hmm. and love, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and relationships, and it also kind of what I was talking about before how. It's sci-fi, but it makes sense for now. Like there's one chapter about a guy who fixes these like dogs that can talk. Uh, They're like these toys and people have their loved ones recorded voices on them. Mm. And the the parts have kind of, it's sort of been discontinued. So there's this one guy who knows how to fix these little robot dogs. Mm. And so people are sending them to him all the time. And he's doing these little slapdash kind of Band-Aid fixes on them. Um, And he's also grieving. But in his son says, well, why do you keep doing this? He's like, I'm the only one, you know, and these people, this is like their last time of their loved one. And it's beautiful. Just, but it is, it's a rough read. I've been, I've been restraining from making sad growing sounds. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's raw, but it's gorgeous. And if you feel like you're up for it, um, if it sounds like something that it's I, a read that you're not just like, oh, that was so great. But when you finish it, it's just like, oh. It's an accomplishment. That sure. book is an accomplishment. I so. think I want a book just about that toy maker right there. That's yeah. yeah. Toy fixer, rather. Yeah. yeah. I beautiful. feel like when I would get done reading that book, I would want to go talk to one of the characters in your first book, one of those more counselor <laughs> yeah. therapist characters. A monk. <laughs> I would want to go talk to a tea monk right after that book. Right. But another thing that we, I think we've been hitting at, but we haven't like overtly said it, is that fantasy and sci-fi help us get more in touch with our own humanity even mm-hmm. if it is dragons and robots yeah that's what the successful storytelling can do it's beautiful well and particularly in the 21st century that's yeah. a lot of our humanity is wrapped up in the internet you know and right. technology that's right. a lot of the way we relate right i made you jump ahead on your list what was else uh on your list damon yeah i have a couple more on here so um the last two i have on my list are both of the graphic medium i think that sci-fi lends itself very well to that because especially when you're having fantastical worlds and people and stuff being able to actually visualize them in the way that the author intended it's very very cool and so the first one is actually brand new we'll get to yours in a minute i know you're thinking of the one that i'm obviously going to mention i i hope so we'll see oh yeah but not yet uh the first one i'm mentioning it is um brand new by dc comics it is galaxy the prettiest star um, written by Jazia Axelrod, and Jess Taylor is the illustrator. And so in this brand new comic series, um, there is a princess named Taylor from the planet Cyandai. But she is actually living on Earth at the time, disguised as a human boy. And so she is not living as herself. 
Um, she's trying to escape an intergalactic war going on. There, there's this uh, horde that's after her planet, and so she must hide away. But obviously, living as the gender that you are not comes with its own set of baggage. And so this book is not just like implicitly trans, it is explicitly trans. She's wearing a trans pride flag on the cover. And I uh, thank you, DC, for giving me a wonderful, very queer, very trans comic that is delightful. The art in it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I do know that the author is trans and the colorist is non-binary as well. So it's got a trans team behind it as well. Um, it. Like I said, it just came out uh, this month in June, and it's already up on Hoopla, and I know for a fact it'll be hitting our library shelves very shortly. It's come in, but it hasn't been processed yet, so yay! Maybe by the time this episode comes out, you'll be able to check it out that way. Excellent. It's a very quick read, and uh, I I was completely delighted by it. So. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I got excited because I think I was irrationally... <laughs> There's like so many great graphic novel sci-fi books. Oh, yes. Yeah. Despite the one we're both tacitly thinking of that we're holding you in suspense of that we're going to say soon in a second. <laughs> we Michelle's like on the edge of her seat like, what is the one you're talking about? Exactly. Hopefully the listeners are too. I'll, the one I'm going to sneak in now, but I'll sneak in again later, is something else entirely from the one we're thinking of. It's called Descender, and it's by Jeff Lemire, who has a lot of great graphic novel credits. And it is uh, almost impressionistically illustrated, almost like watercolor style, I should say. Ooh. Um, and just kind of like dreamlike in its uh in its watercolors. And it's about a it's a, again about a robot, and then we follow the robot, and it's almost like an orphan robot, actually. And it is also involving a found family, but I'm gonna get more into it when we uh get to a graphic novel episode. But I should say Dustin Nguyen is the illustrator. It's a beautiful book. Should we just say what book we were thinking of though? The other book? The other the other uh yes. series that is the uh best sci-fi series of all time is of course Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Um Amazing. I found out recently that Jeff was a fan. I just started working here a couple weeks ago. And so I don't how did it even come up? Oh, you sent a saga uh screen cap That's in right. an email That's that we right. had going back and forth, and immediately, of course, I recognized it and then I ran over to Jeff's desk where he showed me this <laughs> giant saga uh it's the salad cat meme but it's characters from saga in it and he's got it in his window facing out towards the public it is incredible i'll say that it mixes maybe elements of maybe romeo and juliet and helen of troy yes we have two lovers on two different planets and two warring species who are not supposed to mix and they have a daughter and they become basically fugitives at that point yes yeah, the amount of, like, I love graphic novels and comics. Sometimes they go a little bit too light on the characterization, and there's just, you don't get to know your characters very well. You just kind of have to imply. With Saga, because it's been ongoing for so long, it, I mean, it's the 59th issue just came out this past month, um, so there's, there's quite a few there, and you really get to know the characters as your friends, and I will say it is a very dark comic series. And it is unforgiving. It is very unforgiving. Cannot get attached to any character. As as Jeff is well aware, uh, issue 54 was the last issue for a long time. That was a halfway point. The They said they were going to go on hiatus for a year. It was, I think, three years before issue 55 came out. And that was just this past February, I believe. So we're very glad to be getting more saga. Right. We're in the back half, finally. But it ended on such a cliffhanger. Going into it now would be a better time to get into it because yeah. you can continue reading at this point. I about lost it after issue 54. I 
would start thinking about it and I would just start crying. I mean, it was that emotionally impactful. Um, it was very, it was a, yeah, we're not, well, no spoilers, but it was an all bets are off situation. Um, yes. But it's um, told memoirist style. It is narrated by the daughter of this forbidden couple. Uh, and we're following her as she grows up. Four-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old. Um, yeah. Yeah, she's beautiful. almost telling it in flashbacks. So mm. we don't really know how old the narrator is. She could be 18. Point. She could be 30. Yeah. We have no idea what point mm. she is telling us this story, which is beautiful. It's, anyway. it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And then the last thing I wanted to say about it was going into it, um, do know that it is definitely a very adult comic. It is very graphic, both in terms of violence and sexual content. So if that's something that you want to stick away from, maybe don't check out Saga. If that's something you don't mind, you will absolutely love it. Right. Good to note. Yes. We could spend the whole episode talking about Saga. We'll hijack it. Michelle, you must have more books to talk about. I have one more. And Great. I was going to say on that note. On that note. All the trigger warnings for this book as well. Okay. <laughs> so this was actually one that I saw recommended on Reddit. And it's called The Library at Mount Char by nice. Scott Hawkins. Okay. And this is another one that I reminded me of uh, a horror book that I had read in the last couple of years, more so than any sci-fi or Whoa. fantasy. So it is violent okay. and terrible. Uh, it's another one that sort of drops you into the world. Uh, we start with a woman who is bloodied and walking down the road, and uh, she is a librarian named Carolyn. And you say, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So we have a cast of a few characters of people who are all around her age, around 30. They're all librarians. And we are in America, but they are not Americans. Uh, they are Palapi people, and they have their own language. It unfolds that they have a father or someone they call father who has gone missing and they are looking for him. Mm -hmm. There are 12 different catalogs and they each study a catalog. So Carolyn's catalog is languages and it is strongly, they are strongly dissuaded from studying each other's catalogs. So they are only supposed to become experts in their own catalogs. And there are brutal consequences if they study outside of their catalog. Um, so you can tell that they're, they are afraid mm -hmm. of father mm -hmm. and they are in a sort of typical suburban neighborhood in a house uh, with a woman, Mrs. McGillicuddy, who basically um, has probably been enchanted by them uh, to not ask too many questions. And you can tell that she just is kind of lonely and happy to have people to cook for. Mm -hmm. But it, very quickly, you can tell that it's a very ominous tone to it. As I said, very brutal, very quickly. And this is one of the most unpredictable books that I've ever read from start to finish. Mm. It's shocking. Mm -hmm. And th the mystery reader in me had that same propulsive effect of your turning pages and you're like, I don't know what's happening, but I have to find out. Mm. So if you like mysteries for that reason and you have a strong stomach, you probably <laughs> will like this book as well. And it's another one, like How High We Go in the Dark, where you might have moments. I saw this uh, a friend of mine on Goodreads who had read it and said that he had put it down because of the violence and people encouraged him to pick it back up and he read the whole thing. And it is worth reading the entire thing. That's great. Because it really, it's again, the ending, um, I don't want to say ties up loose ends, but it it's a huge plot of a book. And you really need to read to the very end to understand the scope of the entire book. 
you were telling me about this one. Yeah. You were, you were saying like, I think I have to put this one down every once in a while. Yeah. But worth it. It's rough to read. And I think I'm starting to like horror more. Like Excellent. I used to not be a horror reader at all, but I I don't know if it's between my son liking horror now and me watching some horror stuff with him. And we had a, our genre book club where we read horror. Yeah. And then this one, if you're a horror reader, I definitely would recommend this book. But yeah, very satisfying to get to the ending. And it's not, <laughs> it's it's violent through much of it, but you do get a break. Interesting. You do get a break. And so you don't feel just tortured the whole time, which I think sometimes people feel that way with horror, where it's just sort of unrelenting. Mm-hmm. This isn't that, although I can see why you might feel that way sometimes. But it's fascinating, totally original, totally original. And just, yeah, if you're looking for something where you just want to go in not knowing what to expect and being shocked. I, I actually gasped out loud and dropped the book at one point, which I can't remember the last time I did that. So um, should have led with that. That's a great review. Yeah. Cool. What was the title again? The Library at Mount Char. Amazing. Yeah. Mm, that amazing. Lovely. Ending on a library. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll... I have to just mention this book that I read several years ago, and I I don't even know if the author has written anything since, and I have my doubts as to whether or not it's a very popular book in terms of circulation, but I loved it so much. It was called The House of Rumor by Jason Arnott, and it is not in the sci-fi section, and so that's why I saved it to the end because it's kind of a caveat book. It's kind of a spy thriller, if nothing else, but it's also a reimagined history in that sense of Quentin Tarantino where I'm just I'm just going to do what I want with actual events. World War II era, spy era, Cold War era, atom bomb secrets era. But real historical people are main characters. Ian Fleming is in there. Aleister Crowley is in there. And then Robert Heinlein and L. Ron Hubbard and Philip K. Dick are supporting characters. Hmm. And they're the whole tangent in the book where the main character in this spy thriller is just meeting all of these luminaries from not so much Elrond luminaries from sci-fi's past golden era 50s. Um, and it's like a good chunk of the book. And clearly he wrote this book for the purpose of paying homage to sci-fi <laughs> authors. So shout out Philip K. Dick and Robert Heinlein. Philip K. Dick, uh, do androids dream of electric sheep and Robert Heinlein's. Oh boy. Um, it's not the man who fell to earth. What was that book of his? That was so amazing. Come on, everybody. Stranger in a Strange Land. Thank you so much. Stranger in a Strange Land. Man man who fell to earth vibes, I think. Thanks, Dad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Any other lingering thoughts on sci-fi? Um, you know, hard sci-fi, soft sci-fi. I actually fantasy. do have one more title I realized. Please. So through my list. And so uh, this is another YA series. It is called The Extraordinaries by T.J. Clune. Uh, T.J. Klune, you may be familiar with The House in the Cerulean Sea, which was really big a couple years ago. Uh, he also wrote Under the Whispering Door, which one of our book clubs is doing coming up. If you have ever been a fan of fan fiction in your life, I've read an embarrassingly large amount of especially queer fanfic. Different characters coming together that don't win the book. This is a book for you. Nice. So it is a series where it's about a gay teen who writes fan fiction about his favorite superhero who exists in real life, but then eventually comes to meet him and things are not quite what he expected. And it is laugh out loud funny in this book, especially because you get to read some of this character's absolutely horrid fan fiction. So over the top, so <laughs> ridiculous, so reminiscent of so many, so much of my teen years. It's, it's wonderful. So it's a great one to go. There's two books out in that series currently. Excellent. I've heard amazing things about the 
House on the Cerulean Sea. The House on the Cerulean mm-hmm. Sea is perhaps my favorite fantasy book to date. Excellent. Wow. Yeah. Other than, I say that and then I'm thinking about Whispering Door, which I think actually edges out, but T.J. Clooney is becoming up in one of my favorite authors. Excellent. This has been such a good episode. Uh, Michelle, how do you feel? Do you feel like you're getting your foothold in the sci-fi genre now? I, I do. Mean, I was, you know, I read a lot of these back to back in preparation for this podcast. And today I was thinking, OK, I need a new book. I don't want to do sci fi fantasy, but I've actually got one at home on my desk that's sort of calling to me another slim volume. So I, I am actually really excited to continue reading in the genre and talking about it and sort of figuring out what it is right now. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, if nothing else, this episode really shows the wide range of sci fi out there. because. Right. While there were certain themes that came up from book to book, they all were so incredibly different takes on the genre. Yeah, in terms of characters, plot, arrangement, it's all amazing. So thank you so much for being here, Damon and Michelle, for for our episode. I'm going to collect every book that we talked about and include it all in the show notes. I feel like we could even create like an entire display out of the 20 some odd books that we mentioned today. Uh, you listen to another episode of A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by local musician John Duffy. If you want to support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org or remember to rate or review or follow us or tell a friend about us. And if uh, you enjoyed this episode and you've got someone looking for something to read, make them dive into sci-fi by sharing this episode with them. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.